Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning for your presence with us, and we ask you to speak to us as we open your word, draw us closer to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, have you ever been told that you look like somebody? You know, or, or uh, you know, when a, when a new kid comes into the world, it's uh, usually, oh, this child looks just like mom or just like dad. You ever heard that? Uh, or just like the milkman or whatever, and the, um, <clears throat> with our seven kids, uh, what we, we hear a lot is, your kids all look alike, and to which I always respond, thankfully they look like their mom, and, but we, we have a, an image that we look like someone. In fact, the Bible tells us we were made in the image of God, that we have a resemblance of him. Make no mistake about it, we're not God. Um, he is God and we are not, but God made us and he made us in his image and he made us with some good news. The good news is that there's a kingdom and that we're invited to be part of that kingdom. The kingdom is uh, a word that's kind of tough for Americans because we don't have a king. Um, they tried to make George Washington king and he resisted that and uh, chose the term president. But the word king and kingdom is throughout the pages of the Bible. So we're going to touch on that a little bit. And what most people, most believers, followers of Jesus do not realize is that the kingdom is mentioned way back on page one of the Bible. And it goes all the way through. The kingdom in the scripture includes such things as signs and wonders, healings, miracles. The kingdom includes the rule and the reign of God. It's good news. When in creation... After God creates something, every day at the end of that creation, he says, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then when he makes humanity, he adds to that and said, it is very good. The word gospel means good news. And the kingdom, the signs and wonders is first seen in verse 14 of chapter 1 of Genesis. It says this, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs. First mention of signs is right here. In fact, the, the stars and the signs in the heavens go all the way through to the very last book of the Bible of how God will use the very creation around us to speak his truths to us. They'll be created for signs. Over in chapter 1, Verse 26 through 27 and 28 of Genesis, it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the plurality there. The plural, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even mentioned back in chapter 1. Let us make man in our image and let him have dominion. That's kingdom language. Dominion over the fish of the sea, over the creation. Dominion. We see this language of kingdom all the way back where Adam and Eve were made to reign with God. Well, I, 
did a study a few years ago on a survey of the Bible, survey of the Old Testament, survey of the New Testament by an author named uh, Bill Jones. Dr. Jones is, is president of Columbia International University, and it was called The Puzzle of the Old Testament and The Puzzle of the New Testament. And in that book, he does a great job at providing a simple outline of the scripture to help people kind of have a grasp, and he uses opposites. So after using his material for several years, I decided to kind of create my own grid. And so that's what you're going to get this morning is, is a simple outline with eight key words, some of which are opposites, others of which kind of have a rhyming sound. But the eight words, and if you can memorize those eight words or four pairs, you'll have an outline of the entire Older Testament. And so we're going to look at the first one. The first one is made. So if you've got an outline, and this is a front and back outline today, the front first fill in there is made. We were made in God's image. Adam and Eve were made to reign with God. The second fill in there is decayed. Decayed. Our sin brought decay to what God had made. Humanity challenges God's rule and reign, but Noah demonstrates God's kingdom. But we see this demise of humanity because... We all have sinned and fall short of God's likeness, short of his glory, short of the image, short of our potential. All of us. Now, sin, let's spell it together. S-I-N. Simple word. Here's a simple definition. Sin, what letter is in the middle? I. Sin is living life with I in the middle. Simple definition for sin but very profound. Adam and Eve decide to live life with I in the middle. Rather than God being in the center of their lives, they put themselves on the throne. And when that happens, decay begins. And just the demise of humanity. And in chapter 4 of Genesis, there's a list of people who are known as the sons of men. And the amazing thing about the sons of men is they were, they were uh, known by their profession. They were known as, we, in that first uh, beginning book of the Bible, in chapter 4, it talks about people who are musicians, professional musicians, Bruce, chat, right there in the very beginning. And then, then that's good. And then we, we see there, they're city builders. They're, they're people who, they have a vision and they create cities. And they're, uh, they're farmers there in that first chapter. And then there's a group of folks who are known as uh, the metal workers, I kind of envision not only iron workers, but people who make jewelry. And you see these metal workers. And, but then, at the end of that time, there's another group of people that are known as sons of God. In other words, they are people who've turned to God and follow him. And that group of people, it doesn't tell what any of them. All of chapter 5 of Genesis, go home and read it. All of chapter 5 of Genesis, none of them are mentioned for what they do. It says they lived so many years, they died, and they had children. They were known for who they were, not what they did. How about you? You know, when I go somewhere and meet somebody, one of the first questions I ask is, what do you do? We're more like Genesis 4 than Genesis 5. We're more like, and we see this decay, but in the middle of that decay, there's an interesting person that shows up in chapter 6. His name's Noah, and he decided to go sailing. And uh, so, so Noah, God has a plan of judgment upon the world, but his plan is to save a few 
And the few that are saved have to be saved the only way, only one way, and it is to get on the boat. There isn't just whatever suits you. It's there's only one way. It's very narrow. And we see this one way being through the boat, and it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And in chapter 6 and verse 22, it says this, God tells Noah to build a boat, tells him what to do, tells him the dimensions, tells him to get a bunch of animals on there, and he obeys, and it says in verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. So even in the midst of despair, there's good news. There's good news of a kingdom, and it's, it's a guy named Noah who decides, I'm going to obey the commands of God. You know, when I was a kid, and probably you, uh, many of you may have prayed this prayer as well, at our home, at our table, when we got ready to eat, we would pray this prayer, God is, God is good, God is great. Now, if God's great, but he's not good, he's a tyrant. If God's good, but he's not great, he's limited. But we worship a God who is good and great. And Noah recognized that God, and so he obeys his commands. Commands another language word for kingdom. There are commands in the kingdom. There are things to follow. And Noah gets it. Well, the third fill-in for your outline. So the first pairing is made, decayed. Let's say that together. Made, decayed. Okay, you've got the first pair. Second pair begins with sent. God sent a solution. And he sent primarily two individuals. He sent a guy named Abram. He sent a guy named Moses. And with Abram, we see uh, that God speaks to him in Genesis chapter 12. And God tells him in Genesis chapter 12, he says, look, I'm going to bless you. Now, I know a lot of Christians who want to be blessed by God. But the, that Genesis 12 says, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. Our being blessed isn't for ourselves, it's so that we can bless others. And, and the Lord makes that very clear to Abram. I'm going to bless you so that through you I can bless others. In fact, it goes on to say, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And through Abram, we have a descendant of his named Jesus the Christ, through whom all the nations of the world have been blessed. And we see this promise way back. About 4,000 years ago with a guy named Abram. And so then Moses comes on the scene. Well, in fact, before I go to Moses, let me read Genesis 17, verse 6. This is to Abram. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. Now, this is a promise of, of kings coming hundreds of years actually about a 1,000 years before David steps onto the throne. There are those who view the king, because of some verses in Samuel, as being a bad thing. Uh, It was actually spoken of back in Genesis, that there would be a king that would rule and that would reign, and ultimately the king of kings that we know through Jesus Christ, coming through the line of Abram. Abram's called to go, and Moses is called to rescue and restore the kingdom. As Moses comes onto the scene in the next book of the Bible, which is the book of Exodus, in chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, there's, there's some amazing um, statements there as, as we see. It says this, 
Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a treasured possession for all peoples. That's again the word nations, all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We see in this next phase of the Bible that there is the promise of a kingdom of priests. And that phrase is picked up by Peter in the New Testament and says that all followers of Jesus Christ will be a kingdom of priests to our God. It, it's, an ama- it's amazing as we go through these different phases of Scripture. The kingdoms mentioned in the very first chapter. You'll rule with him. You'll reign with him. We see in the fall that Noah turns and recognizes there is a God in heaven who gives commands and he obeys him. We see with, with Abram that he will, through him, God's going to give kings and bless all nations. We see in Moses the same deal. We see God saying there will be a kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. We get to be king's kids is what it's promising. And as we look at the, the next phase there, not only were they sent, there was a guy who went and led Israel. This is your second pairing, sent, went. Number four on your outline, went. Israel went into the land of promise. And uh, there were only two guys that got to go in. Here's a picture. Oh, no, that's the wrong picture. It was Joshua and Caleb. Um, <laughs> But these two, guys, these two guys get to go in, and they go into the, the, the land of promise. <coughs> and, and Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who were faithful spies, and they were allowed to go in. And so we see this, this encounter with, with Joshua that's pretty amazing. I spoke on it here um, a few months back where he, comes, he crosses over, and he's getting ready to go into the first battle in, in the land of Israel. And when, uh, when he goes into to Canaan, he's getting ready for battle and he's preparing and he sees this man in a di- at a distance and he goes up to him and Joshua is, is a pretty tough guy. He walks up, pulls out his sword and he asks the guy, he says, are you for us or for our enemies? And the guy says, neither. I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. Now, This is not simply an angelic appearance because every time that angels appear in the Old Testament, many of those times someone would get ready and try to fall down and worship him and the angel would stop him and say, whoa, don't worship me, I'm just an angel. That doesn't happen here. He falls down and worships and this person receives worship. says, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. Many theologians believe it's one of the few times in the Old Testament where Jesus actually shows up in the flesh in the Old Testament, foreshadowing his coming in the flesh in the future. And this is one of those times where he encounters, I believe, the king of kings. And then what he does next is pretty amazing. It's found in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and following. It says, when Joshua was was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord want of his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we see in this encounter that Joshua gets it. There is a commander, there is a king, and he's not it. And he worships this king, and he serves this king. 
and he goes, he's a, he obeys and goes into the land of promise in obedience to God. You know, when uh, my dad, talk about sent and went, my dad told a story when he was a, a little boy. His dad sent him into Conway. They lived outside of Conway, and he sent him to get a can of oil and, uh, for their farm machinery. And he goes to town, and he buys the, the can of oil, and he's walking back. And I kind of picture my dad was probably 9 or 10 years of age at the time. And he's walking, and he sees a snapping turtle crossing the road. So he does what any 9 or 10-year-old boy does when he sees a snapping turtle in the middle of the road. You can't just go around it. You've got to engage the thing. And so he, he reaches down with the can of oil and nudges it, and the, the turtle lunges forth, punctures the can, and, and loses the oil. You know, when you look at the life of Abram, you look at the life of Moses, these were guys who were punctured. They weren't perfect. They weren't perfect containers, but God still used them, and he still preserved the message of the gospel of the kingdom even through their lives that were broken. That's good news for us. You know, when it talks about being sent, um, I went to, to uh, let's see, it was in London in 1982. I was 19 years of age, and I was there studying, and I had the opportunity of meeting my first Muslims. One was a girl, I believe she was from Zambia, and a guy from Nigeria, and I got to share with them the good news of the gospel of the kingdom because it's for all nations and all peoples in all places. <clears throat> As you, you look at the, the next pairing, it goes from made, decayed, sent, went, together, apart. Together and apart, five and six. Let's look at five. Together, under God, Israel stood together. They were united. First under Saul, the first king of Israel, that was a Benjamite. Then under David. Then under Solomon. And as long as they acknowledged Yahweh, which was the name, Hebrew name for God, as long as they acknowledged and worshipped God, they were united as a nation. You may have heard the story of David and Goliath. <clears throat> well, what most people talk about with kids in that story is, you know, he, he confronts this giant and he takes a sling and he kills him and all of that's true. But many times we miss completely the meaning of that story. The meaning of the story, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he encounters, the, he encounters this, this giant and the giant says, uh, he's defying Israel and the God of Israel. He's mocking the God of Israel. And in this encounter, David ha makes a statement to him, found in verse 46 of the book of 1 Samuel. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Now, this is not um, uh, a G-rated Christian film. Um, you, you know, the, we see here that the God of Israel, but there's a statement that David made. <clears throat> I'm going to take you down so that the world may know that there is a God in Israel. Even in this judgment, the purpose of the judgment is that all the world may know God. Even with, with Moses, it's an amazing thing. Back in the book of Exodus, as you look at Moses, 
is he goes to Pharaoh those nine, ten times. He says to Pharaoh, uh, look, this plague's going to come upon you so that Egypt may know that there is a God in Israel. And then in one, a couple of places there he says, Pharaoh, this is going to happen so that you may know that there's a God in Israel. God's heart was for Pharaoh to turn to him and all of Egypt. We see God's love again that show, or earlier that shows up with Hagar, the Egyptian, where God loves all peoples, all nations, wants all of them to be restored. So together Israel stands. Unfortunately, Israel didn't stay together. They fell apart. Rehoboam, which was Solomon's son, turned away from God. And the Israel begins to fall apart. The sixth, um, the sixth fill in there. Without God, Israel falls apart. Without Israel, without God of Israel, without the focus, Israel falls apart. In 1 Kings chapter, 20, uh, chapter 18, even in the middle of Israel falling apart, God speaks. In fact, with, uh, we, we see that David says that the world may know. In one of the Psalms, Psalm 24, he tells, he, tells, um, he, he writes later, David writes this psalm and says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in it. And then at the end of that psalm, he says that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And he recognizes the kingdom. And David speaks of the kingdom. And he was one who held Israel together as a king who submitted to the king of kings. It falls apart when that is lost. And, but even in that lostness, in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a prophet named Elijah who speaks into the people in verse 39 and he says this and when all the people saw it that is there was this big conflict and God showed up and fire falls from heaven he says when people saw this this sign part of the kingdom sign from heaven they fell on their faces and they said the Lord he is God the Lord he is God they recognized the king of kings I mean it's throughout the entire Old Testament in each of these phases we see glimpses and they're just kind of hints of the rule and reign of God and the purposes of God. And we move to the seventh one, this on the back of your sheet, of captive, where there's a captivity. Um, you know, a buddy of mine was, um, his, his, he's an orthopedic surgeon, and his, um, his son, he showed up at, a, at a, a game one day, a soccer game one day, and he looks out and he's driving up and he's walking out and he looks out on the field and there's a kid out there with duct tape on his knees. And he thought, who is that idiot out there with duct tape on their knees? And, and he gets closer and he looks and he says, that's my son. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so the orthopedic su- surgeon's son has, has his t- knees duct taped. Well, uh, later his, his equipment, his braces had kind of fallen apart and he had some knee issues. And anyway, he had to have surgery. And and through that surgery, his leg had to be, his knee had to be bound up for a long time. Had to walk with crutches. But the binding wasn't punishment. And as Israel goes into bondage, it's in order to bring healing. That's really important to see. And this bondage that brings healing is they're sent into captivity in Babylon. And they're there 70 years. And there's this guy, Daniel. I like to call him Dan the man. 
because he, he's really a cool guy. And in captivity, he proclaims the kingdom more clearly than any other Old Testament uh, figure. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, there, Nebuchadnezzar had taken on a title, and his title was this, King of Kings. And then he meets Daniel, and Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, there is a king of kings, and you're not it. And Daniel, they have this confrontation. And, and through this time, in, in the book of Daniel, in uh, verse, chapter 2, verse 44, Daniel 2, 44, we see this, um, this little glimpse into the life of Daniel. It says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms, which included Nebuchadnezzar's, by the way, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Now, Daniel proclaims that message to Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar actually eventually, and that's in present-day Iraq. Nebuchadnezzar eventually says, There is a God of gods, and I worship him, and him only will I serve. It's an amazing thing that this king in Iraq recognizes the God of Israel. Be interesting if uh, I think we may see him one day. Then, then he confronts another king who's a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar named Belshazzar. And Belshazzar has this vision and there's signs and wonders and there's handwriting on the wall and he, he doesn't acknowledge God. He turns away from God, falls apart, pulls away and his kingdom's destroyed because the Iranians come in and take over Babylon and they, they take Daniel off to Iran. And in Iran, there, there's a, a kind of a um, regional king named Darius. And then the king named Cyrus. And the same message is delivered to both of those kings. But the difference with them is Daniel. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? That's Darius. And he proclaims the kingdom to him. And Darius acknowledges the God of heaven. He proclaims it to Cyrus, and Cyrus does something very interesting. He actually leads them back to Israel to build the temple so that they can be free in Jerusalem. And that's your last fill-in. Captive in Babylon, free in Jerusalem. The people of God were free. And in the book of uh, Ezra, in the book of Ezra, chapter 1 and verse 2, Ezra, chapter 1, verse 2, we see an amazing statement. It says, Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me. Wait a minute. He's given me all the kingdoms of the earth, but he has charged me. Who's in control here? Not Cyrus. In fact, he's following someone else's orders. He's following the orders of the king of kings. And he rebuilds the temple. And when the temple's rebuilt, there's an area in the front of the temple and that area in the front of the temple was actually made for, um, called the, the Court of the Gentiles. And it's said of the temple that the temple would be a place where there would be prayer made for all the nations. The Old Testament, or the Older Testament as I've titled it today, isn't a book about the history of the Jews. The Older Testament is a book about the history of God's kingdom for all peoples, including the Jews, and them being a light to the Gentile nations that they would come to know Yahweh and serve him and love him. Now let's look at these pairs one more time. 
on your outline. Just encourage you, try, try to work with these. If you can remember these four pairs, you've got the entire Old Testament. Which, what, part of what's confusing is the Older Testament goes chronologically from Genesis to Nehemiah, and that's the entire Bible. The prophets and the people who come later is commentary on the earlier work, so it gets a bit confusing. But here's the pairing. Made in the image of God, decayed. We all fall apart. You know, the, the, uh, I remember when I first got this. You know, anybody remember these? This is a, a, a 2G iPhone, you know, and then there became the 3G. I was so excited when someone gave me the 2G. And then they had to make a 3G, and this was obsolete. And then the 3GS. See, you see the serpent shows up right there. And, and there, there's all this decay, and, and, and it just begins to fall apart. So we see made decayed. We see sent and went. We see together apart. And we see captive and free. And that's the Bible. And then there's 400 years of silence. Some amazing things happen in those 400 years, but you'll have to wait till next week to learn about them. And then there's, there's the, the Newer Testament that's divided into two more opposites, and we'll look at those next week as well. But you know, you may be here this morning saying, you know, I really don't know the king. I don't know the kingdom. But you don't have to leave here today not knowing the king. The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdoms for you. And you're invited to become king's kids. That's what being a follower of Jesus Christ means. I talked about sin being I in the middle. There are two different groups. One group with I in the middle says this. That group says, look at my accomplishments. I don't need God. I can do it on my own. I'm smart. I have ability. I have talents. I, can, I don't need God. I don't need any. In fact, my, um, one of my daughters, Laurel, spent the summer in France, and she was an au pair and just got home. But the, as an au pair, she, one of the girls that she uh, kept for the summer was, um, I believe, 10 or 11 years of age, and she went to, um, um, to school one day, and at school, 28 students, and the, the uh, teacher asked them, who here believes in God? She was the only student of 28 in this classroom in France that believed in God. Not that's a Christian that believed that there was a God who existed. So there, there is a group of people who say, I don't need God. I can do it on my own. And they're living life with I in the middle. And then there's an opposite group that's equally deceived. And they're saying, I don't have any abilities, I can't do anything, I don't have any talents, I don't... Do you see a similarity between the two groups? I, 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 I. Both are living life with I in the center. Which are you? The way to cross over is simple. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and if you haven't yet committed your life to Jesus Christ as the King of Kings... The prayer is simply this. God, I give all I know about me to all I know about you. And forgive me for living life with I in the middle. And I want you to be the center of my life. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but you believe the lies of either of those other two parties, I can do it on my own or I can't do anything, uh, God wants to restore you to the kingdom as well. 
And he wants you to know you don't have to live life with eye in the middle. You can surrender to the King of Kings. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.